So this morning I want to talk about the sun. Um, go figure. We're talking about Jesus on Christmas morning. Um, so we're talking about Jesus as the servant come to bring peace. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Let me, let me pray for us and then um, we'll jump into this. So our Father, we thank you that uh, you sent your son uh, to die for us. We thank you that you sent your son to bring peace on this earth, um, to remind us of your goodness and to to make a way uh, to restore the relationship with you and to uh, to bring us in uh, to the ability to, to bring reconciliation to others. And so, Lord, we, Father, pray as we look into your word this morning that you would open our hearts and that you would uh, you would guide us through your spirit and you would teach us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one other thing before I start. If I kind of wince or I kind of have something look on my face, it's because I have some kidney stones that are moving around right now. And so um, it's not that what I said I thought was wrong. Um, so uh, if you're new with us, um, we do engage in questions uh, now and then, some dialogue. And so as we teach and listen and learn together, I'm going to ask a question. And so feel free to answer. Um, so as you think about Christmas, oftentimes at Christmas, people are always looking for that perfect gift. And so if you could imagine a perfect world, if you could imagine a gift for our world, what would it look like? You can shoot for the moon, whatever it is. What would you imagine the perfect world, the perfect gift would look like for our world? Peace. Okay, good. Something expensive, someone said. Yeah, what else? Food for all. Okay. No more world hunger. Okay, what's that? No more sickness. Okay? What else? Uh, somewhere, somewhere in Corinthians. Okay. Yes. We're probably going to get there today. Just a spoiler alert. Yep. What else? No orphans. Yeah. No orphans. No homelessness. All those things. Yeah, good. What else? No divorce, no broken relationships. Okay, good, yeah, what else? No fear, okay? Yeah, no fear. No loneliness. No loneliness, Alfred. No traffic. Yeah, empty freeways that you can just drive as fast as you want down and change lanes, it doesn't matter. Yeah, how about that? No disease, yeah, no sickness, no disease, no no pain in many ways. Yeah, good. What else? Is that it? Everyone was contented and joyful. Okay, joy and contentment for all. I work at the airport, that would be really <laughs> Yeah, people coming to the airport with joy and contentment and the lack of strife in there. Yeah, I think if you ask this question in almost any circle... Most of the time you'll hear the answer that people want peace. It's the very first one we've got today. Um, it's really, it's the dream of every hippie and every pageant queen, um, really. And if you, if you boil it down to all the things that we just kind of talked about, um, can, you can, you can put them under peace. Um, we long for peace in our world and in our lives, and it's it's super evident at this time of year that it's what people want. Um, we see it if you go through the malls. You know, there'll be peace signs on plenty of uh, storefronts, and you can buy shirts with it, or you can buy a little cell phone case. I was at this 
You can drive around this neighborhood at night and see them on, on people's houses. I was in Silver Lake earlier this week and someone had this giant like peace sign that they had like just installed in their house. I mean, it was like, I don't know, as tall as the ceiling. I don't, I think it's going to be there all the time. Um, but it, it's one of the things that we, that we look around in the world that you can't escape the fact that people actually want peace. They're desperate for peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. You've probably heard that word before, but, but shalom has, has a very a, a richer meaning than just than peace that we think about. And shalom means this. It means soundness of body. It means contentment, completeness, fulfillment, unity, unpaired, unimpaired relationships with others. It means the world, it really means the world as it was meant to be. Really everything that we described and we just talked about as we think about a perfect world. That's what shalom is. Um, but if we look around, that's not what our world is like, right? There's strife, there's conflict, people who are enemies with with one another. Every time you turn on the news, there's there's somebody fighting with someone, whether that's around the world internationally or it's in our city, people in our workplaces, even in our homes, brothers, sisters, spouses, roommates, parents, close relationships, there's conflict, there's strife. Even as you think about the church, there's plenty of strife in the church. There's a lack of shalom, there's a lack of wholeness, there's a lack of completeness, and even... Even in the very smallest centers of circles of our world, there's lack of peace and there's lack of shalom. So why do you think that is? Why does, why does everybody want it, but we can't achieve it? Why is the world not like the picture we just described? Okay, everyone has their own idea of what peace looks like, and it doesn't look like someone else's idea of peace. Okay, good. Yeah, what else? Okay, sin doesn't allow for it. Unrepentant sin doesn't allow for it. Okay, good. Yeah, what else? Why else? We're selfish, okay? That's right. My kingdom is better than your kingdom. We can all say that at the same time. Yeah, good. Why else? Okay, we say we want it, but we actually want other. We want something else instead. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes it comes down to us, doesn't it? Right? Us, sin, the things that we brought into the world. But but what's wrong with it is the world is, is not just the facts that humans are in it. Right? Because God created humans in his image. Um, he made us in his image. More than anything else, he created us to show the world what shalom is like. So just the mere presence of humans in the world isn't the problem. The problem is actually our rebellion against God. That's the problem. It's that at the core, every one of us wants to be God. We want to be in control. We want to be it to be our agenda. We want our own little kingdoms. We talked about this last week, this idea of worship. We, we worship the wrong things. And if that's the case, there's not going to be much shalom or much peace going on out there. You see, because of our rebellions, we're the ones, because of our choice to say, we know better than God, because of our, our misguided worship, we brought unrest, we brought brokenness, the lack of peace into the world. All you have to do is flip back and you can look through the entire story of the Bible and you see this. I mean, you see Adam and Eve, they do that. Then their, their children, 
Cain and Abel, and one kills the other. And people see all along the time until Noah's time, no one did what was right in God's eyes. And then God comes along, and Noah, we, we saw that John talked about that. And then as you continue throughout history, we see people always did what they saw was right in their own eyes. We see this over and over and over again. They, they fight against God, and rather than following God's ways, they, they choose to do something on their own. Even if you look through the, the great pillars of faith, right? You look at, you look at Abraham. Abraham was a mess. Like he, 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 he tries to like sell his wife off so to, to save himself. He tries to take God's promise into his own hands and, and, and sleep with his wife's maid so that he can fulfill God's promise. Then his, his, later on, Jacob steals the birthright from Esau. Jacob's sons sell their brother into slavery. The, the new family in Israel, after they're rescued from Egypt, rebel and they, and they make a golden calf and they bow down to worship it and say, this is the God that saved us from Egypt. Even go further, you see the great King David. He rebels God against God. He commits adultery and then has the, has the man killed who was the woman he slept with. And all along history, we see this sad, sad list of rebellion against God. It's, it's over and over and over and over again. If you look through um, the history book, historians estimate that only that less than 8% of all time can be described in peace. Of the thousands and thousands and thousands of years, only 8% of all time can be described as a time of peace. And throughout history, um, there's been thousands of peace treaties signed, and the average time they've lasted is less than two years. Less than two years. We are the problem. Yet the irony is that our culture and often us believe that we are also the solution to the problem. Every cause, every action out there in this world, whether it's save the environment or save the whales or, or save this or whatever it is, it always is we need to take action. We can solve the problem. We can fix the problem we've caused. Here's something that we've caused that threatens our very survival, and now we're the solution. And we tell each other, and the media tells us, and our culture tells us, you can be a part of the solution. It's what, it's what our culture sells. And, we, and people give millions and millions and millions of dollars toward it each year, and especially at this time of year, to no avail. To no avail. The question becomes, how can we both be the problem and also think that we're the solution? How is that possible? Really, it's not even logically plausible to think that way. To think that someone in their brokenness can bring that brokenness into a broken situation and have wholeness come out of it. That's not even rational. If we're the ones that cause the problem, there's no way possibly we could be the solution. We need someone outside of us, someone who can enter into the situation, who can actually bring shalom, bring some peace. And history has shown over and over and over again that it's not going to happen by us. We just bring more brokenness into the problem. And we live in this insanity thinking that we can actually usher in peace somehow. So that's really the bad news. We could stop there, but there's good news. The good news is that all throughout the story, along this sad track record of brokenness, the, against the record of division and rebellion, and the lack of hope, the lack of change, we have this parallel line that God is, is still present with His people. 
That God is still, He's never abandoned us. That He's always there and He's always been promising a future that He's going to get involved. And He's going to fix the problem. He's going to bring peace. And He's going to once again usher in shalom. And as history moves along, we've been looking at this, there's this growing anticipation, a growing of hope of one to come, of a king who would serve the world, of a king who would restore all creation. It's why we, we call this season Advent. I said this last week, but Advent means arrival. It implies some anticipation of something to come. Even in the secular world, if they don't know anything about Jesus or think about Jesus at all at this time of year, we have this build-up, we have this lead-up till Christmas. We, we're counting down the days. So last night as we were walking around looking at Christmas lights, it was seven days and like some hours and some minutes on this like little clicker going by. We're all counting down with anticipation for that morning when Christmas comes. We're like children waiting upstairs to like run down the steps to see what has come, what's underneath the tree. And in the story we have this we have this build up, we have this anticipation that we're in desperate need of Jesus to come and show up. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that he actually came, that he came and he showed up. So all throughout history we have this anticipation, this sense of need of someone from the outside to break into our context. And we've been, we've been looking at Isaiah as we've been going through, uh, the Advent wreath this morning. And, and if you look at the book of Isaiah, it's a book written by a prophet, uh, sent by God. And you'll see both of these tracks in Isaiah. You'll see this track of sadness, this track of, of, of lack of hope, and, and, and this track of brokenness. And then you also have the other side. You have the act, they actually have hope and anticipation. Isaiah talks a lot about how the northern tribes of Israel are going to get conquered and they're going to get hauled off and they're going to be abused and they're going to be put into slavery. And we see a lot of words like distress and darkness and gloom and anguish. And it's not a very good picture. And then when you get to chapter 9, it says, however, one is going to come. He's going to show up and he's going to break the rod of the oppression. I want to just read for it. Again, because verse 6 tells us how this rod is going to be broken. How the, how the doom and gloom will be removed from this world. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Basically, Isaiah is saying, there's one coming. There's a child who will be the prince of peace. He's going to establish his kingdom and it's going to be a kingdom of peace. And the Lord is the one that's going to accomplish this from this time on and forever. Now, if you fast forward to chapter 2 of Luke, I want to read this because we read about the arrival of the servant king, this prince of peace. Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 
He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloth, lying in the manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appear with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the babe who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen them, they spread their word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. We see Jesus born, we see him born, and he's born to bring peace, the angels say. To establish a kingdom that would be marked by peace. That he would bring order out of the chaos. That he would bring wholeness to the brokenness. That he would bring shalom out of the strife. And that's really good news. That's really good news that we get to celebrate that this morning. But how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus establish this kingdom of peace? How did he become this prince of peace whose kingdom would have no end? How did he do this? Well, he did it in a very different manner than what the Jews expected. And what I think oftentimes um, we think about when we think about peace. How do we bring about peace? Um, We often think it comes through breaking the rod of oppression, comes through war. It comes that Jesus was going to come and he was going to lead a war. He was going to break, finally get the Romans off of their back. They would be free. He was going to break that rod by leading a new rebellion and establishing his kingdom. But that's not how Jesus does it. That's not how Jesus establishes his kingdom. You see, Jesus had to deal with the actual cause of the problem. The cause of the brokenness and the cause of the strife. He needed to deal with the root of the problem. And it wasn't the Romans. It wasn't some other government. It was people's hearts. It was our hearts of rebellion against God. Our belief that I am the most important being in the universe. That's the battle that he stepped into. You see, Jesus said, before I can bring my kingdom to bear on this planet in the way that you can taste it and feel it and touch it and see it, I had to bring my kingdom of peace into the most invisible place because the problem is your heart. The problem is that me just fixing these things around is not going to fix it. I need to come and fix the actual brokenness in your heart. And Jesus comes and he serves to address the lack of peace and the lack of shalom in our hearts not just the symptoms of that in the world. Colossians 1 says this as he's talking about Jesus. It says this in, in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So that's Jesus. We talked about that, that Jesus was the God-man last week, that he's fully God. So God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you are alienated from God and you are enemies in your minds, but you're ev- because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 
I want to look at this word in verse 20, this, this key word. I want to think this word of reconciliation. If you think about peace, reconciliation has to take place. Reconciliation basically means enemies becoming friends. Where there was discord, where there was disharmony, where there was strife, where there was lack of peace, where there was lack of shalom, reconciliation brought unity, it brought harmony, it brought oneness, it brought wholeness into that. And so that's what Jesus came to do. As we think about reconciliation, Jesus did it in two ways. First, by making peace through his blood. So we think about enemies becoming um, friends, division becoming uh, one. Through sacrifice, blood was shed. The death of someone had to take place, or something had to take place in order for that to, to, to happen. It's a, it's a reminder here of the story of the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is a day that's still celebrated um, by, the, by the Jewish religion at this point. It's, it's the Jewish holiday, Yom Kippur. And it's a time where God said, I want all your sins to be taken care of. I want, I want them to be removed so that we can be in relationship with one another because I want oneness and here's how you're going to have to do it. You need to get two goats. And the first goat is going to be killed and you're going to take that blood and you're going to sprinkle it on the, on the altar in, in the place of the Holy of Holies where God dwelt. And so that's going to happen. And the second goat, we're going to take all the sins of Israel and we're going to lay our hands on it and we're going to confess it over the head of that goat. And that goat is going to be sent out into the wilderness, never more to be seen again. And that goat is called the scapegoat. So two things happened. Um, first, um, the people's sins were forgiven. And second, they were cleansed and gone. They were removed. They were disappeared. They were out. So what takes place is that when this happens, where there was separation between God and the people now, because of the sacrifice, there is shalom, there's oneness, there's peace. At least for a moment. So what Colossians is saying in verse 21 when it says you were alienated from God and that you were enemies with God in mind is that we were separated from God. We were apart from God. We were enemies with him because of our rebellion. Because God cannot allow evil to remain in his presence. And so a death sacrifice is required for that sin to be met. And so Jesus shows up as the Prince of Peace and he sheds his own blood like that goat. Those that were separated from God now can be made right with God. Those that were enemies with God now have the ability to be friends with God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are an enemy of God? If you don't believe that you're not an enemy with God, the good news of Jesus coming, the good news of Jesus actually dying for you to cover your sins and to make you right with God really won't be good news to you if you don't believe that you're an enemy with God. I think sometimes we can think, well, maybe I'm not an enemy. I think I'm okay. Like me and God, we might not be like best buds, but he probably thinks I'm okay. He probably thinks maybe I'm decent. Um, but, but scripture is clear. No, you are alienated from God. You're an enemy with God. But now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you have the ability to be his friend, the ability to be a part of his family with all the blessings in every spiritual realm, it says. The truth is that we needed someone on the outside to come in and bring back the oneness with God. See, we live in a culture that tells us that you can do it. You can save yourself. You can solve it. You can fix the problem. 
I have conversations with people all the time um, in this school and other places around where people are, are figuring out how to solve some problem and it always sounds like, well, if I just started being good or if I just started working on this or if I just did some of these other things, then this other thing would fall into place in my life. Basically, I can solve it. And really what we're saying when we say those things is we're saying, I can fix it. I can be my own savior. That's what everyone around us is screaming and what it's oftentimes we scream with our lives as well. I can fix it. I can be my own savior. And I want to tell you, I want to remind you, if you look to anything other than Jesus to bring you peace, it will always produce a lack of of peace. You cannot produce peace in your life outside of Jesus. Peace is not achievable in and through this world and what it has to offer. Peace only comes through Jesus. And when we look to anything other than God to do what only God can do, it's called idolatry. And what you and I do is we serve and we worship created things and our own self rather than worshiping the Creator who actually came that first Christmas morning. When we say, this thing will bring me peace, that's idolatry. And in the end, it will always fail you. They always will. And you know what? That's actually God's grace. Because it leads us to repentance. It leads us to seeing that that thing is a failure. And that He's the only one that can actually produce peace. The good news is that idols will always fail you. But Jesus never will. He will never fail you. He's already done for you the most extreme thing possible. He died the most horrible, painful death on the cross for you and for me. And He rose again three days later so that we would know that we could have life. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't... It wasn't just about him dying for you physically. It wasn't just about his heart stopping and and blood coming out of his body. If that was the case, then we would never die physically when you came to know Jesus. But most of us probably will. So it wasn't just about a physical death. It was about a spiritual death. What you and I experience as a result of our sin and separation from God, is actually physical death. The ramifications play that out in the, I mean, spiritual death. Ramifications play that out in the physical. But when Jesus hung on the cross, he was cut off from the Father. He was completely dead physically, and his relationship spiritually, he was abandoned by the Father. And why did he do that? Why was he abandoned by the Father? So that you and I never would have to be again. He experienced separation from God so that you and I wouldn't have to be separated from God. Their relationship was ripped apart so you and I could experience shalom. That's really what true servanthood is. It's giving up everything so that someone else can enjoy peace and wholeness and shalom. That's what Jesus did. That's what a true servant does. They give up everything so someone else can enjoy peace and and wholeness. Jesus says these things in John. John fourteen twenty seven. He says this: "Peace I live, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not be afraid." Jesus says, "There's no need to fear anymore." Someone said fear earlier. They've removed the, the lack of fear. The lack of fear 
is a result of peace. Because Jesus is now the foundation of peace. There's no fear. In Romans 15, it says this, when we accept his gift, um, it says this, the God of hope fills you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, hope is what the fruit of peace looks like in someone's life. Hope is the evidence of peace in your life. Peace is a fruit of God's Spirit and it's evident of the fact that you're actually trusting in God. That you're walking in right relationship with Him. That He's actually on the throne. That He's actually the one you're worshiping. That's what peace looks like. And when you live in peace, when you live that way, that's what is produced. Peace and hope and joy. See, that first Christmas, Jesus was born to bring peace. It's how He started His kingdom. The kingdom of a servant. He was born in a humble stable. It's the picture of a servant who would, who would come and serve all of mankind by ushering in the ability to have peace in the most inner part of our being. But can I say, there's more than that. He didn't just come to establish a peaceful kingdom in our heart. If we go back to Colossians 1 verse 20, it says this, He came to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. He came to reconcile all things to the Father. You see, Jesus' sacrifice wasn't just for us, to just to reconcile it for us. If it was just for us, then, then once He saved us, all we have to do is just hold a little holy huddle and have a gathering and come together and, and talk about, isn't it great that Jesus saved us? And then we get to go back into our, our, our happy lives or our unhappy lives and go back to our homes and jobs and families and, and wait until we die. But Jesus came to reconcile all things. It's why it's not just about once a week in this room. We, we talked about it's It's why it's way more than just a gathering of His people. It's why we say that we are not, we don't go to church, but we are the church. He came to reconcile all things. And in 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, Therefore, as Christ, if anyone is in Christ, He is the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Can I say there's a purpose for you and for I now? There's a purpose of why Jesus reconciled you in your heart and why He gave you shalom in your heart. That Jesus had to start in our heart, but He wants it to have external, real life things that hands and touches that the rest of the world can see so that we would be people who would who would have shalom in our hearts and would, would, would bring that into the world around us. That we would live in such a way in the culture around us that Los Angeles, that all of California, that, that this whole country, that the world would get to experience in both word and deed what it looks like to have the message of reconciliation owned in your heart and also the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of hope and of peace and shalom as we interact with those around us. And can I tell you, that's really good news. That those of us, that you and me, that those of us who are in Jesus, now we were part of the problem, we actually do get to be part of the solution. 
It is right now. We do get to be part of the solution that Jesus working through us by us sharing the good news of the gospel in both word and deed and the Holy Spirit taking root in that and, and producing fruit that we get to live out the good news of the gospel. We get to live out the good news of shalom to the world around us. Where the gospel actively transforms our community and transforms our city and transforms our world as God is making his appeal through his people. Through us. That perfect world that we described in the very beginning, that's what we get to live for now. That's what we get to work towards now. To be a part of the solution of displaying that to others in small communities and and spans out through all the world so that they would see their only hope is found in Jesus. The only way that it's going to take place is that Jesus would come and give it to them. So that they would see that there's a way that their brokenness, that there is actually a way to fix the brokenness. That someone from the outside would change the inside. The one that could come, who was only one that was good, right, and perfect, would come and restore. That when we live this way, we get to be a display, a foretaste, a glimpse, a trailer of what the future will look like when Jesus returns. And he restores the physical alongside of the spiritual. Complete shalom in all of the world. That's really what the Christmas story is all about. It's about restoration of God coming as a baby to reconcile his enemies and make them his friends, make them his people, make them his family. And what hope and what joy that is. That God broke in and sent the true servant, sent the prince of peace so that we might have shalom, so that we might know shalom in our own hearts and that we would then serve others the way that he served us, that we would we would find our peace, our hope, our joy, our shalom in all that Christ has done for us and says about us and, and offers us. That's really what the gift of Christmas is about. So as you open gifts this next week and remember, remember the true gift of Jesus, the Prince of Peace that has changed are inside so that we could be a part of what's going on on the outside. So I'm going to pray and we're going to head to communion. We're going to spend a time where we're reminded of what he did for us. We're reminded of how he actually became the scapegoat for us, became the goat that was the blood was poured out so that we might have shalom in our hearts. Our Father, we thank you that we get to remember Jesus coming at this time of year, that we get to remember that, that he came as, as a gift that morning to bring shalom to this world, to fix the brokenness that we, um, that we, that we brought and that we continue to perpetuate. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, that you remind us of what you have done for us and that we be people that continually and graciously live out the good news of the peace that you have brought to us in our hearts. Father, I pray as we go to communion that you would remind us of that, that we would celebrate the good news of that as we confess the areas that we're still in need um, of you to fix. And so, Father, I pray that, that as we go to the table, you would, you would cause us to remember and cause us to celebrate. Um, I pray that um, these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
So we're going to sing a few songs, and when you're ready with those around you, you can go to the table. If there's two on the back, you can break off the bread and dip it in the cup. Pray with those around you. Remind each other of the good news of Jesus.